All right, uh, let's do a roundup of various articles here, starting with uh, an article on Trust Elixir. We talked on the show, uh, I think last year, about the fact that the hormone oxytocin has been dubbed the hormone of love and bonding. Important in the uh, uh, maternal world, injectable oxytocin or pitocin is used to induce uh, labor contractions and clearly has some role to play in the, the, uh, the mother-child bonding. It does appear that if people are, are, are you know, on oxytocin, they, their trust level seems to go up. Naturally, weasel merchandisers have gotten involved in this. If you go on the internet, which, which I have done, you'll find plenty of people trying to sell you a nasal spray of oxytocin that will then get people to trust you. But let's face it, if you'll accept someone's nasal spray, you already trust them. Well, luckily, it ter- well, it turns out the stuff they're selling on the internet, God knows what that is. But a uh, recent study here at the Catholic University in Belgium gave some volunteers uh, oxytocin or placebo and then gave, had them play a game where they could choose to give money to a trustee partner who could then make money for the, uh, the volunteer or whatever. Well, the punchline was that subjects given oxytocin did make larger transfers to partners they judged reliable, but they didn't do so if the partners were provided with data that made uh, their partners seem unreliable or untrustworthy. So obviously the hormone, uh, at least as of yet, is not going to be a way for merchandisers to induce you to buy. But in search of that elusive mental buy button... uh, Technology is now applying brain scans. And yes, they're looking for the brain activity seen in persons that are poised to make a purchase. This is described as the ultimate goal of neuromarketing. New Scientist magazine quoted a Phil Carlson at MindSci, a California-based neuromarketing film, saying, Nobody's seen it, but everybody wants it. They want to identify a specific area that goes, Ding! I want to buy this. So they managed to get people to shop online at Amazon and iTunes while they're in a functional MRI, undergoing brain scans. Folks, please, don't, don't do this. <laughs> what these weasels have figured out so far, it's not a specific area, but a specific pattern of activity. And unlike most uh, scientific research, their findings are currently under wraps, as they may have commercial importance. The idea, of course, being that advertisements could be tailored to trigger this activity and persuade consumers to part with their cash. Others are skeptical that this approach is going to work, and I hope the skeptics are right. And uh, speaking of skepticism, if you were skeptical that taking pine bark extract could lower your blood pressure, well, it, it turns out that you were right. People at the Palo Alto Medical Foundation Research Institute at Stanford recruited 130 volunteers and (laughs) tested them with the bark of penis pinaster trees. That's spelled P-I-N-U-S. And you know, I didn't take Latin. It might be pinus, but I I prefer to call it penis pinaster, no matter what may be correct. Well, it looks like it was a good study, double blind and all, but uh, it turned out it just didn't work. The study, by the way, was funded by the Toyo Shinako Company of Japan, which oddly enough makes pine bark supplements. Probably the last time they commissioned a study from the Palo Alto Medical Foundation. And if you were skeptical, as I was, that mouthwash could uh, remove plaque and promote healthy gums, well, again, you were on the money. I love this headline from the Stockton Record. Mouth rinse claims called hogwash by FDA. 
The Food and Drug Administration, it notes, had warned three companies that have been marketing mouth rinse products that they have to stop making unsupported claims that they remove plaque and promote healthy gums. These claims suggest the products, which are used by countless Americans every day, are effective in preventing gum disease. But no such benefit has been proven, said the FDA last week. This was odd. All three of these mouthwashes that were cited uh, by the FDA had their active ingredient sodium fluoride, which has been proven to prevent cavities, but which the FDA has not found to be effective in removing plaque. I don't know. Have you noticed that the, the, the claims being made in supposedly reputable journals and newspapers are getting wilder and wilder as the economy tanks and more and more uh, goofball claims seem to be accepted as legitimate advertising? Well, I have. By the way, if you didn't catch our interview with Dr. Simon Singh, which is available on our archives at radioparallax.com, we now have a transcript available at sacramentomenshealth.com. Uh, yours truly and some other folks have been putting together some, uh, some good information for the general public, and you might want to check it out. And uh, in that, uh, that uh, health and wellness vein, we have this item. A study by the Organization for Economic Cooperation and Development said a couple weeks back that citizens of the world's richest countries are getting fatter and fatter, and the United States is leading the charge. In fact, they produced the first obesity forecast, which says that three out of four Americans will be overweight or obese by 2020, and the disease rates in healthcare spending will balloon unless governments, individuals, and industry cooperate on a comprehensive strategy to combat the epidemic. The Organization for Economic Cooperation and Development is a Paris-based organization which brings together 33 of the world's leading economies and is better known for forecasting deficit and employment levels than for measuring waistlines. But the economic costs of excessive weight in health care and in lives cut short and resources wasted is a growing concern for many governments. There's some people that are saying now that uh, owing to obesity, the current generation of young people may have shortened lifespans uh, versus uh, the current generation, which would be the first reversal in, the, in that figure for, I don't know, what, a century? At least since they've been, they've been calculating the numbers, I don't think there's ever been a reversal in that, even, even in World War II. Hey, you know what we haven't done yet? The good, the bad, and the ugly. It was apparently a good week this week for Robert Rizzo. You remember Rizzo? He was the uh, city administrator for Bell, California, who got tossed out of office uh, in the summer, along with numerous of his cohorts, for the exorbitant uh, salaries they arranged to have themselves paid. Yeah, apparently the Bell City Council accepted the resignations of Rizzo, as well as the assistant city administrator and the police chief, among others, these resignations came after the L.A. Times revealed the huge salaries that Rizzo and other top city officials were receiving. Rizzo himself was set to earn more than $1.5 million in compensation this year. This for a town of 35000 Well, it was a good week for him this week because attorney James Spurtis said the city of Bell is violating state labor laws by not paying Rizzo's salary and should begin new negotiations over his departure. These attorney accusations threaten to create another potentially costly legal battle for the struggling city, 
which is operating with a majority of its city council members facing criminal charges. Anyway, fill your own lawyer joke in here. According to The Week magazine, it was a bad week last week for The Written Word. After Jersey Shore star Nicole Snooky Polizzi, just reading what's written here. Yeah, Snooky apparently signed a book deal to, quote, write, unquote, a novel, a sure thing. Snooky has admitted to reading only two books in her entire life. We've said it before in this program, and I, I guess we have to say it again. As with Sarah Palin, before someone writes a book, they really do need to read one. Finally, it was an ugly week last week for sending in the clowns. After voters in Sao Paulo, which is Brazil's largest state, elected to their Congress an illiterate clown who ran on the platform, it can't get any worse. But you know what? I think it can. We have not checked in on the South Carolina Senate race now and how Alvin Green's doing in quite a while. You remember this story, Alvin Green? <laughs> a man who has no campaign, uh, a man who ran no campaign, has no website, <laughs> apparently was put up to all this by Republican operatives. I think South Carolina is, is going to one-up Sao Paulo, Brazil. You wait and see. And speaking of our crazy legal system, and I guess we were, how about this item from the Only in America file? According to The Week magazine, a wheelchair-bound California man has won the right to watch his burrito being made. Apparently, a federal appeals court agreed with Maurizio Antonietti's claim that a 45-inch high wall at Chipotle's restaurants prevents him from watching an employee form his order, thus depriving him of the full Chipotle experience. Chipotle said the company would lower walls so as to be accessible to all our customers. Now, I admit, some people out there might find this to be perfectly reasonable. In my opinion, such people should be referred to as idiots. And that opinion, like all the opinions heard on this program, of course, do not necessarily represent those of KDVS, our sponsors, or the regents of the University of California. But if you think it's reasonable for the entire Chipotle's restaurant chain to lower their walls so someone can, quote, enjoy the full Chipotle experience, unquote. You got to think that one through again. All right, let's do some other stuff we don't agree with. I can't agree with some of the opinions expressed in the article in the Sacramento Bee by Carlos Alcala, noting that write-in votes are no joking matter. The article suggests that you don't want to vote for some Mickey Mouse candidate, not merely because Mickey Mouse is a cartoon rodent who failed to declare himself as a write-in candidate, but because election officials in the Sacramento area are complaining. They want voters to steer away from writing Mickey Mouse or Donald Duck on ballots because it costs thousands of dollars and slows down the vote counting process. My question is, what's wrong with slowing down the vote counting process? As we've talked about many times in this program, the idea that we have to have instant voting reports, thanks to uh, tabulations by computer, do have the... Um, somewhat worrisome side effect in that uh, such machines appear to be unverifiable in many cases. So my question is, what's the rush? Isn't accuracy more important than speed? 
Now, the article notes that this is not to say, of course, there aren't legitimate write-in candidates. It notes that Republican William Noland managed to get elected to California senator that way back in 1946. Here's a stat I like buried in the article. In one 2008 Sacramento County election, barely 12% of the 37,000 write-in votes were for legitimate candidates. Adding, you can't write none of the above either. You know, we had an initiative some time ago that allowed people to write in none of the above are acceptable, which would then <laughs> cause them to have to have another election if the two candidates were both judged to be uh, uh, insufficient of insufficient quality. And I think we should return to that. Why should I have to pick between Jerry Brown and Meg Whitman? Well, I'll tell you the answer to that. It's because we have the establishment party that gets to pick uh, who runs for office. By the way, that comes from Jerry Brown, who... Back in 1992, when he was desperate, resorted to something that politicians seldom do. He told the truth. He said, I'm part of the corrupt system that money's able to buy, and it's, it's, it's wrong, and I'm going to run a campaign where everyone just contributes $100. If you're keeping score, Jerry Brown failed to get the Democratic nomination back in 1992. Uh, I think it probably was his finest moment. But now that he became the Democratic Party frontrunner, he doesn't seem to have the same qualms about accepting large sums of uh, campaign cash. Anyway, the article notes that, uh, that none of that information they write on the ballot is a qualified candidate. It's a quote from the campaign services manager of the Sacramento County Elections Department. He added, a lot of people think it's funny. And they estimate that in Sacramento, counting all those ballots by hand costs $15,000 per election. I say big deal. Look at the amount of money we spend on elections. People want to make a protest vote, vote for Mickey Mouse. I think that's a form of free speech. And speaking of free speech in campaigns, perhaps you got uh, one of these uh, nice color glossy folders uh, on your doorstep like I did, telling me how I should vote on Prop 24, 25, and 26. This advice comes courtesy of a group apparently called Stop the Jobs Tax. Who are they? God only knows. Writing in U.S. News & World Report, Michael Waldman said, For all the talk about angry Tea Partiers and economic ennui, the 2010 congressional elections could turn on cold, anonymous cash. In fact, estimates are that a flood of at least $80 million from shadowy new groups with names like Americans for Job Security, is pouring into partisan TV ads and other campaign activities. About 85% of it is to benefit Republican candidates. This massive and alarmingly sneaky outpouring of cash comes to us thanks to the U.S. Supreme Court, which in its Citizens United decision this year broke with a nearly a century of settled law to hold that corporate campaign spending limits violate the First Amendment. Since that lunatic landmark 5-4 decision, lunatic is my word added, a host of new special interest groups have come into being, organizing themselves as non-profits which don't have to disclose their donors. Commenting on this in the Washington Post, Eugene Robinson said, It's bad enough that public offices can be bought. It's unconscionable we can't even know who the buyers are. Writing in the New Republic, Jonathan Chait said, if you disclose political activity, people might respond. Heaven forbid. He noted that boycotting corporations or sending unfriendly emails to political opponents is all part of democracy. 
It's kind of funny that not long ago, conservatives argued that political contributions were a form of free speech and should be unlimited as long as they were, quote, transparent, unquote. Last month, last month, when Democrats tried to pass a law requiring disclosure of the contributions to these new secretive groups, Republicans voted unanimously to block it. Said Jonathan Chait, now that the Supreme Court's conservative block has approved both unlimited corporate spending and secrecy, Republican support for transparency will fall down the memory hole. You know, as Supreme Court decisions go, that one is probably even worse than Bush v. Gore. Actually, it is worse than Bush v. Gore. The Supreme Court limited that to uh, basically stealing one election, the federal election of 2000 for president. The Citizens United case uh, opens the door to stealing all the elections from now on. We'll see how this plays out. All right, we've got to take a break in a minute. Before we do, I want to note uh, the fact that Stanford last weekend squeaked out a win over USC. I mention this for the following reason. I turned on the game with a few minutes to go with the hope of seeing USC lose. When I was in medical school, my girlfriend was a USC alumnus and I attended several of the games, which very much impressed me with the fact that it was all about winning at all costs. So anyway, I turned into the game with a few minutes to go and observed USC score the go-ahead touchdown with a minute eight to go. Since Stanford had missed a PAT, the score was now 35-34. to 34. For a moment, I thought, well, you never know. <laughs> they could get a, get a field goal. And I said, nah, no way. And in disgust, I turned the game off. And of course, in that last 68 seconds, Stanford got within field goal range, booted one through, and won the game. And the lesson for all of us in this, I think, was summarized by the great Yogi Berra, who pointed out, it ain't over till it's over. And you'd think I would know this, because I was at the UC Davis-Hayward State game back in the 70s, where Hayward had a 15-point lead with like about a minute to go, meaning that UCD would need two touchdowns and two conversions to win the game. You have to admit, it's not likely But it does happen once in a while. It happened that day, and I was in a car on the freeway driving home, missing the whole thing. But sometimes in life, we do need reminders, don't we? It ain't over till it's over. Let's take a short break. I'm Douglas Everett. You're listening to Radio Parallax. Yeah. 